Well, good morning, church family. I'm delighted to be with you today. I want to thank Kyle and Macy for leading us in uh, worship. And uh, what a blessing it is to be able to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, we're going to continue today, um, you know, as we uh, worship remotely. Um, we're looking forward to the day when we can uh, meet as a congregation uh, at the church. Uh, but we want to be able to do that safely. And so we're looking forward to that day. Uh, just stay tuned to um, social media and uh, our other platforms, our website and other things so that we can uh, communicate to you when uh, things are ready and, and we're safe, we can safely do that. But, uh, oh, how we, we long to be together. Uh, our hearts desire that. Um, this morning I, I want to continue on in our series on the power of the mission. Uh, the power of the mission that Jesus Christ gave us as believers, as disciples of his. And today, I want to talk about the project of the mission. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, uh, verse um, uh, 18, 19, and 20. Um, you know, our, our vision um, here at Memorial is, is pretty simple. And our, our mission with that is that we love God, uh, which is our worship. And because of, we love God, we, we love others, and that's our discipleship. And um, uh, because of our worship and our discipleship, we're compelled to go out into the world to serve the world, and, and that is our outreach. And so we love God, we love others, and we serve the world. Uh, worship, discipleship, outreach. Uh, this is the mission. And, um, you know, I've always tried to be a, a good student uh, even early on in my schooling, uh, from a very early age, you know, I was the type of kid that Dick Stafford used to copy his paper off of. Um, only instead of writing the correct answers, he would just write something like "Me too." Um, but uh, seriously, um, my sweet wife is a seventh-grade uh, ELAR teacher, and uh, she absolutely loves what she does. Uh, some days are a bit more hectic working with seventh graders, and, and, um, but uh, she thoroughly enjoys teaching. She loves uh, capturing kids' heart, giving them and developing in them a love for learning. And uh, that's really what it takes. You know, every teacher probably wants to teach the subject that they were hired to teach. But it's more important to give the students a desire to want to learn. I mean, if a teacher is not able to convey even one fact, but that student becomes a learner and they help them to have a desire to be a lifelong learner and to want to learn, then they've been successful as a teacher. You know, this morning, or excuse me, last week, we've, we've looked at Acts 1-8 and we talked about how um, all authority had been given to to the Lord, and, and He wanted us to be His witnesses in Jerusalem, in, in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Uh, we've also looked at the Great Commission, and the Great Commission is what I want to talk about a little bit today. As, as we look at that, we, we understand the, the go part, um, we, that we need to be missional and going out, and, and we also understand the baptizing part. Uh, it's the teaching part that I want to kind of focus in on. And when I talk about the project of the mission, this is really uh, what I see as the project of the mission. You know, our, our Lord commissioned us, uh, 
not to teach people uh, just certain truths about him, but really and truly to make them his disciples. Um, let's look at what he says here in Matthew 28, verse 18, 19, and 20, a very familiar passage. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is God's word. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for this time and I thank you for your word. And I I thank you, Father, for the sacrifice of of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I thank you for how uh, the fact that that he changes us through his resurrection, through uh, uh, his sacrifice on the cross and for the forgiveness of our sins. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would continue to draw men and women to yourself. I pray that as we study your word, that you would convict our hearts, that you would guide us into all truth, that you would be our teacher and our guide. Uh, Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done for us. I pray that you would be glorified in this time, in this this message. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in the original language of the New Testament, there are two words that can be translated um, into the word teach. One of them means to teach facts, just to to put the facts out there. The other one means to make learners or make disciples. And so it's a little more than just uh, putting the facts out there, but it's it's actually uh, making disciples. And that's the, in our text this morning, that's the word that Jesus uses uh, for the word make disciples, is, is teaching them. Um, You know, Greg Ogden, he writes that we will not make disciples through methods of mass production that attempt shortcuts to maturity. In other words, you can't try to make disciples and and take shortcuts. It takes time to make disciples. You can teach facts, but it takes time to mature disciples. You know, Robert Coleman, he clarifies the challenge and he says, one must decide where he wants his ministry to count. In the momentary applause of popular recognition or the reproduction of his life in a few chosen men who will carry on his work after he is gone. Folks, that is exactly what Jesus did. He planted, he marinated a few men in his teachings so that they would carry on his work when he was gone. That's what discipleship looks like. See, teaching, as it's used in our text, is in the present tense. It's not in the past tense, it's in the present tense, emphasizing the vital importance that disciples who make disciples will be continually teaching those they disciple. It's an ongoing process. It doesn't end. It's something we continue to do. You know, the word teaching, didasco, um, in the English, it means to provide instruction or information in a formal or informal setting. The essence of a disciple is, in fact, that he or she is a learner. 
that we learn from others. And that the teacher teaches and the disciple hears and processes what is heard so that the truth affects our innermost being. We're not learning something just so that we have the facts. We're learning something for transformation so that we become more Christ-like. That's the point. Ultimately, the purpose of Didasco is to shape the will of the one taught. To teach means to cause to know and uh, to help one to learn, to impart knowledge or skill, to carry out the activity of instructing by precept or by practice. But understand this, in Scripture, in Scripture, to teach means to pass on the truth about the Word of God and the God of the Word and the faith of the saints with the goal in mind of influencing and understanding and stimulating obedience to the truth that is taught. And this results in the Spirit energized our transformation and our own Christ-likeness. You see, that's what in Scripture to teach, that's what it means. It's talking about the Word of God and the God of the Word and the faith of the saints and being able to influence the learner so that they have a a lifelong, uh, continuous relationship with Jesus Christ that transforms who they are and helps them to become like Him. Folks, that's what we're talking about. So what is the curriculum of the teacher? Well, it's the Bible. It's the Word of God. See, this gift is to teach systematically, if you will, the, the Word of God, the truth of God. Now, it can be, it can be, this gift can be used by men, you know, one-on-one, one-on-a-few, one-on-many. It can be used by women, one-on-one, one-on-a-few, one-on-many. It can be used by a lady with a group of children. It can be used uh, by a mother with her son. It can be used by a husband to his wife. It can be used in any conceivable way that God's Spirit decides and desires to use it. That's discipleship. It's the ability to pass on truth in a systematic progression so that someone receives it and implements it and a change in behavior takes place. See, understand this. In fact, this is a gift that a lot more of us have and it belongs to us than we realize. We can pass on the truth of God's Word to our next door neighbor. We can pass on the truth of God's Word to our child. We can pass on the the truth of God's Word to a a co-worker. See, we all possess this gift of of being able to teach and being able to, to make disciples. Understand that as our Lord commanded us, we are commanded to go make personal disciples of Jesus Christ. I mean, when a person comes to Jesus, they begin a personal relationship with Him. They get to know Him. He does not merely, this person doesn't merely adopt his ethics or believe his word or join his church. See, what actually happens is Christ enters our lives and we become a follower of Jesus Christ. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. You know, many times I have seen people come to a place where they're ready to accept forgiveness and and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
And they had to be helped in order to say a prayer. They didn't know how to pray to receive Christ. And so with complete joy in my heart and on my face, I, I have led them in a sinner's prayer line by line. This is how you invite Jesus into your heart. After having helped them pray that prayer, I always suggest that they say a prayer of thanks to the Lord for coming into their lives. But you know what? I have never, up to this point, seen a person who needed to be helped in thanking the Lord for inviting them into his heart. See, the words come freely. They are then prompted by the Lord, by his Spirit from within the new believer's heart. And they've entered into a relationship with Him. And Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, has begun to lead them. And so they pray this prayer and it comes from their heart being led by the Lord Himself. You know, see, when the, when the Samaritan woman, she met Jesus at the well. She believed in Him. And you know what she did? She ran. <laughs> she ran to tell the people of her town about Him. And because of her testimony, they urged him to stay in their city. And many of them believed in him. See, once they had met him, they said this in John uh, 4, 42. Once they met him, they said, we no longer believe just because of what she said. No, we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the one and the Savior of the world. See, they heard and they understood. They were being taught. When you lead someone to Jesus Christ, they don't become your disciple. They become a personal disciple of Jesus Christ. See, we're commanded to make personal disciples we're also commanded to make public disciples. You know, when a young man, he uh, is in love with a young woman, he may keep it silent. He may keep it silent about his affection for her until he gets the courage to ask her to marry him. And when he asks her to marry him, and if she says yes... He wants everyone to know he's been accepted. She has said yes. So they, they plan to celebrate publicly their vows to one another. They even send out invitations inviting people with whom they hope will come and share in the joy of their marriage ceremony. It's a time for celebration. A man has found a wife. See, baptism is the public ceremony celebrating a believer's new union with Christ. I mean, in dramatic fashion, they are proclaiming that they have died to their old way of life. They have, they have been, they are going under the water. They are being buried with Christ and they are being raised to walk in a new life. Matter of fact, in, in sign language, this is the sign for baptism. It's not like this. It's like this because we are with Christ and we are baptized and we are buried with Him and we are raised to walk in a new life 
with him. And so what we're saying is baptism is that public ceremony of letting everyone know that, that I am a new believer in Jesus Christ, that I have a new Lord, that I have someone who is now in charge. But in the waters of baptism, we tell people, everyone watching, that we belong to Jesus Christ, even without saying a word. See, when we baptize a person, we act in the authority given to us by God himself. We baptize in the name of the Father who gives us new life. We baptize in the name of the Son who died to redeem us. And we baptize in the name of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who indwells us and empowers us to live for Him. So we act in the authority given to us by God Himself. And when I say the words, in obedience to the command of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I baptize you, my brother or my sister. I'm referring to this command. This is not a command. I'm not saying this to the new believer. I'm saying this to the church. In obedience to the command of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I baptize you, my brother or sister. See, we are to mark others before the world as believers in Him and then teach them all the things that He has taught us. We are commanded to make public disciples. We are also commanded to make prepared disciples. From the first day of new life in Christ, a new believer needs to be brought into the teaching ministry of the body of believers that we call the church. The Bible says in 1 Peter that a newborn Christian needs to be fed the nourishing words of the Lord just like a new baby needs milk. He'll not be able to digest everything at first, but as he grows, we are commanded to teach him all the things that the Lord has commanded us. See, God's Word is a guide to the new believer. I love this. In Psalm 119, verse 105, it says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Folks, that's what a new believer needs. He needs a lamp for his feet. He needs a light for his path. The Lord will speak to us personally in his Word, guiding us in our every step. You know, in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Just as, a, as faith is born in a person when they hear the gospel, faith that a young Christian needs uh, to shield them from the fiery darts of the enemy will be nourished by the word of God. That's why we come and sit under the teaching. That's why we come and sit under the word of God is because it helps us to, to push away the fiery darts, to protect us, to shield us from that. And a new believer needs that in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6 verse 17 calls his word the sword of the spirit. It's the only offensive weapon that is mentioned in Scripture to fend off the devil, to fend off Satan. You remember Jesus in his temptation in Matthew chapter 4. Satan attacked him again and again. And each time 
He countered with Scripture, defeating Satan, Satan with the very word, the very weapon that is given to us. We have that same weapon. It is the sword of the Word of God. See, I think that's huge because He's not left us defenseless. He's left us with something we can use against the enemy. Now, there is no substitute for Scripture in the life of the believer. You know, the Apostle Paul, he wrote to Timothy, young Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, Paul, he, he writes this. He says, All Scripture is inspired by God for, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for teaching in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. See, it's important for doctrine that we have Scripture. Teaching a believer what we need to believe. Without Scripture, we don't know what we need to believe. And we don't know what we need to believe about anything. But Scripture tells us, it reveals to us who God is, what He has done, what is important and what we need. That's why we need Scripture for doctrine. It's important for reproof, for convicting us of sin in our life. When I read God's Word and it points it out to me, and it's like looking in a mirror and understanding, oh, I've got a problem with something on my face and I need to go wash my face. And so what happens is when we read Scripture, we see the sin in our life and we're convicted by it. And we go to the Lord and we confess it to Him. And He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful. He does that for us. But it's Scripture that points it out to us. It's God's Word that points it out for reproof. It's also profitable for correction. Helping believers to get back and stay on the right path. I mean, God's Word will always guide us toward healing, toward forgiveness. I'm so glad He's the God of a second chance. You know, we see this and we recognize that we need that correction. And really, that's why I view uh, when we come together for corporate worship and we sit under the Word, what we are doing is, is, is we are coming back to, to, to the, the compass point. We're coming back and measuring that we are still on the right path with God through His Word. That's profitable for correction. It is also valuable for instruction in righteousness. To keep us going in the right direction. I mean, God's Word is filled with principles for living a godly life. And that's what we need. There's a lot of junk out here in the world. There's a lot of uh, philosophy that's false philosophy. That's, that's very humanistic. That's, that really is from the enemy. And if we're not careful, we buy into it. And so we stay grounded in His Word. So that we are moving in the right direction. On the right path. In his, in his way, that we can live a godly life. See, it's all that a believer needs to keep us in the works of righteousness is Scripture, is God's Word. See, the Lord has commanded us to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but also teaching them in obedience. See, this first participle, going, it emphasizes the need for the invitation to discipleship. 
go. This is the, the missional part of it. It's the missionary part. It's the missionary aspect. So every believer is to partake in the going and taking of the gospel to others. He commands us to go. The second participle, baptizing. It draws our attention to the initiation, if you will, of people into the life of discipleship. Baptism doesn't save anyone. It's a work of man. It's a work of humanity. It's not the cause of our salvation, but the result of salvation leads to baptism. It doesn't contribute to our our salvation in any way, but it is a public confession of our salvation. And folks, this is the relational part. This is the family part. That we are baptized, we are born into the family of God. Every believer should instruct all who believe upon Christ to announce their relationship with Him and His people through this symbolic act of baptism. We are announcing our relationship. We now have a different boss. We have a different master. We have a different Lord. He is now our Lord. And we are identifying with the body of Christ. The third participle, teaching. This is kind of where we fall short sometimes. We want to teach to the masses, but really it's a one-on-one that we really need. That's the part that's missing most of the time. This teaching sums up the continual obligation of God's people, the church, to instruct new believers in the way of our Lord. I mean, conversion is the introduction of a person into this personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But teaching... Teaching cultivates, it works the ground. Teaching cultivates this relationship by assisting and encouraging every believer to know Him in a deeper and more intimate way. It helps us to grow. It massages the growth. So teaching is the rational aspect. We have the the missional, the missionary aspect. We have the family aspect. This is the rational aspect. Every believer, hear me now, every believer is to teach others about Jesus and what it means to follow him. We all have that job. We have to teach. It may not be in a Sunday school setting. It might be in a coffee shop. It might be on the job. It might be in a daily walk with him and with someone else. What I'm saying is that making disciples is God's imperative. It's His command for every Christian. And it involves the beginning and the instruction of every believer in this continuous growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And it seeks to make every believer a follower of Christ. Every person, if you will, a follower of Christ. Not through intimidation. Not through force. But through love. Through grace. And a voluntary act of the will. A submission, if you will, to Jesus Christ. Understand this, brothers and sisters. This is the business of the church. This is the project of the mission. See, in these days of cheapened grace and compromised discipleship, thank God for the church that is still making Marking, 
and maturing disciples for Jesus Christ. See, may our Lord find us faithful doing what he commanded until he returns. See, the most common word used by believers in our day is the word Christian. You know how many times the word Christian is used in the Bible? There's only three times that the word Christian is used in the Bible. Acts chapter 11, verse 26. Acts 28, verse 26. And 1 Peter 4, 16. In its two occurrences in Acts, which present the history of the term, it's used in a derogatory fashion. In fact, Christian was likely coined as a, a term of derision. Those who despised Christ displayed their disgust for his followers by calling them Christians. It wasn't until years, many years after Christ's ascension, that the term was used in a positive light. On the other hand, the term disciple appears 269 times in the New Testament. 269 times we are called disciples. With 238 of those occurring in the four Gospels. Why is this important? Because Christ didn't come to make Christians. He came to make disciples. Immediately before leaving this world to return to heaven, he commanded us, his disciples, to carry on his work in his absence. But here's the crux of it. Before a person can make a disciple, that person must be a disciple. They must personally, publicly, and be prepared as a disciple. They must be, in actuality, a disciple. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, I thank you for this time. And Father, I ask that even now, that you would use this message, this sermon, these words. Father, to help us accomplish the Great Commission, to help us accomplish Your will. Father, even as You, Lord Jesus, made disciples here, we are called and commanded to go make disciples of all the nations. But Father, before we do that, we must first be a disciple. So my prayer this morning is that, that we would truly search our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would search our hearts to see if we are truly a disciple of yours. Father, today we label everything Christian. There's a Christian radio station. There's Christian t-shirts and Christian bookstores and, and coffee mugs. But Father, you call us to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ. So I pray, Lord, that you would help us to do that and to be a disciple and then to be a disciple maker. Father, I pray that you would lead us into all truth. And I thank you, Father, for all that you are doing. Guide us 
as we moved into a time of decision, Father, that you would take over and that we would submit our hearts to you during this time. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.